MIT Review Journal, um, by the way, I don't regularly read the MIT Review Journal, uh, but got uh, kind of focused on, turned on to this particular article because they actually do a talk about how an 82-year-old man in Austria by the name of Paul had blood cancer and they had done all the normal treatments that they knew how to do and they decided that they would send a tissue sample to a company called Exensia, uh, and that company re uh, combined robotic automation and artificial intelligence, and they were able to take the sample and split it into two, having one of the samples be healthy and the other sample having the cancer cells. And they were able to use the technology to run simultaneous tests on that um, uh, on the sample so that they were able to actually find a combination of, of, of medicine that actually would uh, put the cancer in remission. That was done through artificial intelligence two years ago, and Paul has lived two years uh, cancer-free. How many of you in the last week have heard between five and ten references to artificial intelligence? It's becoming more and more in our, in our culture. It's becoming more of an everyday thing. And actually, in 2018, artificial intelligence was talked about in this regard. Artificial intelligence was able to uh, drill down on one subject and become an expert in one subject. And you've probably first heard about it uh, in reference to chess playing because there was artificial intelligence that finally beat the, uh, the world champion in chess. Well, we now do not live in a day of what they call artificial intelligence. We live in something called artificial general intelligence. It's where artificial intelligence grows to the place where the general knowledge of artificial intelligence is broad and it's deep, and even has a creative component in it. But it's also not the place that's going to stop, because while it starts with artificial intelligence, moves to artificial general intelligence, they, what they thought would take 10 years from 2018 is already exists, because obviously it took half that time. They know the next step for artificial intelligence is ASI, artificial superintelligence. Har uh, Harvard uh, did an article on artificial superintelligence that uh, basically, by the way, this is the whole Skynet thing. Um, but I want you to understand this, that the average person, uh, their IQ is 100. When it comes to the IQ of artificial superintelligence, get this, they estimate the IQ number for that to be 34,597. Because the, ar the artificial superintelligence will be able to take 4,000 years of learned history and be able to process it and use it within the blink of an eye. Something Clarissa and I were talking about yesterday, you think about the, the span of history as being 6,000 years. And in 5,800 years, humanity just kind of sauntered along. There, there wasn't a, a great pace. There wasn't a great speed to life. But when you had the horse get replaced by the automobile and the train, life started to speed up. And now we see where literally we've went from a slide rule to artificial intelligence. 
Now, as, as followers of Jesus, here's what we know. There may be a computer that has an IQ of 34 plus thousand, and that's all based off the past, but we serve a God who knows yesterday, today, today, and tomorrow. So he is, of all knowledge, he is, he is understanding all things. And so we have been commissioned by Jesus to minister at the speed of life. And of course, that's kind of where we went last week. That's our whole, or two weeks ago, that's our whole series connect. Every time I come back to this sermon series, we're going to talk about the reality that Jesus calls us to really minister at the speed of our life. And we all have different speeds and different modes in our life. Some people are, are doing this kind of thing. Other people are doing that kind of thing. Some people, I was, I was uh, just kind of watching someone worship in front of me, bounce around, twirl around, and I just don't move like that anymore. And I'm looking out at this crowd going, many of you don't move like that anymore either. And so the pace of our physical body may have slowed down, but the pace of life doesn't slow down. And so we're, we're just looking how really Jesus meets people at the speed of life. He ministers to them, and then they go differently. They're, they're not the same. And he does that through you and I. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus meets the trapped. How Jesus meets the trapped. And, and before I read the scripture, let me just say, when we get into the trapped, you have more of an opportunity than literally 39 other states in the country to minister in this fashion. Now, I want you to just hold on to that, and we're going to look at that here in a little bit. So it says, in, starting in the first verse of chapter 8, Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. All right, let me stop right here for a moment. Because we're not going to focus very much on what's not in this scripture. Because this is a part of scripture where there's just things that we just don't know. But here's what we do know, that Jesus is in the temple, and where he's at in the temple is where the largest crowd was at. You would read in Scripture where Jesus, they're, they're sitting, in, and a woman, she puts a, a, a coin into the, to the offering. This, this is an area of the temple that Gentiles couldn't go to, but you know, if, if you weren't a Gentile, at least as a woman, you could go in this area. Okay? And that was a blessing. And so women would be found in this courtyard area. And Jesus comes amongst not just the men, but the women. And he sits down and he's going about his life and he's ministering at the speed of life. He's teaching them. Now, we really don't, don't know at this point all that he's teaching him, teaching them. But what we do recognize is that he is sitting there and they've gathered around because they recognize he has the words to life that no one else has. Now, while he's doing this, this takes place. It says, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him. But I want you to understand, they're attempting to trap him. 
that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down, wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, so who are the trapped in the scripture? Well, the two that are trapped in the scripture, first is the woman, right? And, and it, get this, it doesn't matter what society, of what age, of any time in history, women always get the short end of the stick. Boy, pastor, you're preaching that like you want to get guest votes from the women. <laughs> it's only the woman that's there. And she was caught in the act of adultery. Something's missing. Right? It doesn't say who was watching them. I, I, you know, I, you ever stop and just try to imagine what it was like in those days? I mean, two guys walking down the street and they hear the wall and they're peeking in the window. Some of you got that. She was caught in her sin. It's important to get that. She was caught in her sin. She was trapped. And what caused her to be trapped were the religious. And you realize that it wasn't just the woman that was trapped here. The Pharisees are trapped. The scribes are trapped. They're trapped in their religion. There was Jesus sitting and teaching. The Messiah, the one that they had studied in the scriptures about. They had their heads in the book, and they could not realize that Jesus was right in front of them because they were trapped in their religion. Now, I'm going to submit to you today that many of you are trapped in your religion. And when you are trapped in your religion, you're going to miss the activity of Jesus when he's right in front of you. Now, why do I say that? Because I want to reference back to two weeks ago. If you were here, you'll remember this. I used the example of someone who would find out in the, the crowd where there's 
couple of Starbucks cards put right under the seat. And they went out on their own trying to find it, and they weren't able to. It wasn't until I walked back to the chair, and then some of you went, uh, get a clue, he's standing right here, and they discovered. That's our responsibility, to discover where Jesus is ministering. But if you're stuck in your religion, you can have Jesus right in front of you, and you will miss it. Why? Because while you may not be trapped by your sin, I think you're going to find that you still are. You certainly are trapped by a religion. And that religion will cloud your ability to see and recognize the activity of Jesus that's going on right in front of you. F.B. Myers gives this quote. I think it's a great quote. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of his fellow sinners. Have you ever experienced that in church? Where you, when you come to church, it's, you, you may have been convicted by the preacher, but you were shamed by somebody else. Because what religion did is religion brought that, that young lady in front of everybody else in the crowd. But here's the thing that happened, or didn't happen. The attempt was simply this. While the religious were trapped in their religion, they were also trappers trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to go, yep, stoner. So he could, they could turn and tell the Romans that he's trying to incite a riot. Or if he was to go to the opposite end and say, well, she's forgiven, let her go, they might be able to turn him over to the high priest. Jesus is never trapped by religion. Jesus is not trapped by their religion. Jesus is not trapped by our religion. Now, why can I be so bold and say you? Because listen, I got a little Pharisee in me too. We all got a little Pharisee in us. Come on. Come on. Turn to your neighbor. Don't say you got Pharisee in you because then you're being religious. Turn to him and say, I got a little Pharisee in me. But now watch this because it's important. Jesus is sitting there and he's teaching. And religious comes and try, religion tries to come and trap him. Religion will always use a rock. Because it's going to hurt. Right? Jesus only used his finger. He didn't give him the finger. <laughs> Although that may be good for some people who are too religious. But we're going to find why Jesus doesn't work that way. But he just takes his finger. And he just starts, I, we don't know what he does down here. Okay, he could have been playing tic-tac-toe. He could have been writing scripture. He could have been writing names. The fact is, we don't know. And we don't know what we don't know. And some people are so religious, they act like they know what Jesus wrote on the sand. We don't know what Jesus wrote on the sand. And when we get to heaven, we can ask him. But Jesus does things in here that just blow me away. And I want you to get this because both the woman and the Pharisee are freed. Now, here's the truth I want you to connect with today. This will, this will really begin to help you ignite change in the people around you. 
because there are a lot of people that need to be freed in either like the woman or the, or the Pharisees. And here's the truth, that freedom comes from seeing what Jesus sees. Freedom comes from seeing what Jesus sees. Now, again, Jesus is here, and we don't know what other activity is going on, but I guarantee you, the moment the, the scribes and the Pharisees are dragging this woman into this courtyard, okay, nothing draws a crowd better than a sex scandal. Okay, a sex scandal gets people moving. But here's the thing. While it may get you moving, while it may get me moving, it didn't cause Jesus to move. Jesus just sat there. And while they're throwing their accusations, Jesus' only move is to bend over and start doing something in the dirt. But I want you to notice what the scripture says. It says that, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, I don't exactly understand this part, but what they saw helped them to hear. Because he writes something in the sand, he stands up, and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And his next posture, the next thing that Jesus does is go right back to doodling in the dirt. And then the scripture says, when they heard it. Okay, if you're married and you're male, you understand the difference between hearing and heard it. Because your wife at some point is going to go, did you hear what I say? Okay, and if you're married and you're male, you went, uh, no. And it would seem like at some level, this is what's happening with the scribes and the Pharisees. But Jesus does this, and they heard it. What they saw caused them to walk away one by one. This is the beauty. Remember I commented about, you know, some people, it just seems like they need the finger if they're religious. If you've ministered to religious people, you would be chuckling more because you would know exactly what I'm talking about. The next time we preach something like this, I want the majority of the room to laugh. Some of you are so religious, you think I'm being, you know, sinful even mentioning the finger, which is one of five that God gave us. Has everything to do with intent, which is a different sermon. But here's the thing. Jesus goes back to here, which means his eyes are not on them. And some of you are so caught up with thinking you're going to change the religious world that you can't get your eyes off them. But Jesus is incredibly gracious. After the scripture says that he heard them, they started to leave. And he didn't go. And do that. He can get on Facebook and grab his phone and send out a tweet. No, backs of the Pharisees leaving now. He didn't do that. No, his eyes are to the ground. 
as, I, as I'm praying over this, I really felt the Lord say, it's not so much that he wrote, is that, that when you're religious and you recognize from where you came and where you're going, it makes you start to listen a little different. And so by Jesus not looking at them, they were free to go. They saw whatever Jesus saw. And they walked away. doesn't say they walked away from their religion. But they walked away. But then you have the woman. So Jesus is doodling. And after all of them have left, he stands up and he looks at the one who's trapped in their sin. The one, now get this, the one who feels the burden and the weight and the shame and the guilt of sin and trapped by a religious system. And he looks at her, and what does he say? Where are your accusers? He didn't see any, and he helped her not to see any. And then he adds, I don't condemn you either. When religion is gone, when you no longer see religion, you are truly freed. And so how does Jesus teach from this moment? Well, you can't miss that. What does he say? He says, again, Jesus spoke to them. Now, who's he speaking? He's speaking to everybody. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you see what Jesus sees, you are walking in his light, and you are free from the burden of sin and the tyranny of religion. Now, I would like to say, man, it'd be great if that was that simple. But I think in that process of igniting change, we connect, but then we got to grow. So let's talk about the ways we grow here, because this is important. Because we got to grow out of some stuff. We got to grow out of religion. We got to grow out of rules, limited vision. Religion simply, what, and get this, think about this. Religion is, simply says this what I practice, what I believe, is more important than people. If you overvalue rules, you will undervalue people. You know what grieves my heart? And this is a white American church thing. And, and it was spoken by Tony Evans. I just loved it. He did a talk in 2021, and he talked about idolatry in the church. And he wasn't just on the white church. He's on the black church, too. But he was right about the white church. He says that we have in our faith wrapped our religion in the American flag. And we have said that the American flag is more important than the people who believe and think and vote differently than us. And so I'm going to tell you this. It's, it's, a, it's something the Lord gave me years ago. You can have the faith to move a mountain. But if that mountain you move lands on somebody else, what good is it? Paul said in Galatians, he says, What's the, what is important is our faith expressed itself in love. Religion always at, forgets love. It, it sets it off to the side. There was no love demonstrated to that woman. 
You can't have religion without rules. And rules are about the way it's done. And I don't know how many scriptures I or many conversations I've had with people over the years who are religious who had a scripture perfectly taken out of context to make their rule right. But here's what happens. And I know this doesn't happen at Bethel and in your social media. But when you, when you really live in religion and rules, you have what I think the scribes and the Pharisees had in that day. It's, it's what's called responsive righteousness. You are better, in some cases, in your religion at recognizing the sin of a president than the sin in a mirror. Someone once said, you know, you know, love the, the sinner, hate the sin. That's dumb. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. But when you live re- this, this religion with rules and you're always responding to righteousness and the way you think it's supposed to be, uh, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself, right? I'm reminding you here, right? We, we all got a little Pharisee in us. Say that again. We all got a little Pharisee in us, right? But the fact is we go around and we, we're pointing out how everybody else is not living the way that we're supposed to live. I don't know how many people, what percentage in America, if they lived for Jesus, it would take to change this country. I don't know. I, you know, back in the day when, when Katrina hit Louisiana and some TV preacher got all religious and got on TV and said, that's because the judgment of God. I'm sitting there thinking, what makes New Orleans any different than San Francisco? I can think of a bunch more reasons to take San Francisco out. Come on, if you got a little Pharisee in you, come on, you can say amen. Right? Because we judge these things. I mean, they got, they got a couple things against them, right? They live in California, and that means they're not Texans. And they just see the least, they seem to lead the way in sin. And so we live with this responsive righteousness. The moment you think you know what someone else is supposed to do, please remember these words. Being right doesn't make you righteous. Being right doesn't make you righteous. It could have been that Jesus wrote the scriptures in the Old Testament of mercy. We don't know. They were selective, obviously, by not bringing the guy. They were selective in their rightness. And it's amazing how we really get this idea of my right. And what ultimately comes from this is we have this limited vision because we miss the activity of the Lord. I've said this for years before I ever got into ministry dealing with salespeople. It's always easy to see the bad stuff. Anybody can do that. Any knucklehead can do that. It's easy to look and look at all the problems of the world. You don't even have to be Christian to do that. All religion does is say, these are the reasons it's wrong. And you end up missing the activity of the Lord. The Messiah was right in front of them. In our modern-day religion, what we've done is we've taken Jesus and we've put him in the book. And we've left him in the book. 
And just like the the scribes and the Pharisees who knew the Messiah was coming, there are Christians who are so caught up in their religion, whether it's Calvinism or Armenianism, whether it's pre-trib or post-trib rapture, whether it's whatever, that they leave Jesus in the book and they close it and they walk away. But we go even further than that because at least we give Jesus a day. Because Sunday is his day. Or he's just found in a building. If you've seen any of the commentary on in this, what's going on in uh, Asbury University in, in Kentucky, it just makes me want to throw up. Every religious person has their opinion. I just think it's great that God's pouring his spirit out. And, and as, as Lewis said last week, which I thought was just really just spot on, it's beautiful that they're getting the Holy Spirit poured out on them because they're going to go. They're going to go. They're going to go and ignite change. And so I haven't been there. I don't care about somebody else's opinion. I'm just going, yay, there are people being filled with God's spirit. They're having a time of repentance, seeking after God, and they're going to go ignite change. But we get so caught up in our, our religious, religious results, which, by the way, we've got to grow out of our religious results. You've got to grow out of them. Here's what happens. When you have religious results, you're going to produce a false fruit. What, what's false fruit? False fruit is, I have to be this way. I've got to do this. I have to uh, make sure this happens. I've got to make sure. And, and the problem with all those statements is it's got the word I in it. Because what we have for us isn't a religion, and it's not self. It's him. It's all about Jesus. And whenever it becomes about us, we try to produce fruit on our own. And I never have ever seen, in Arizona, in one of our houses, we had apple trees. I've never seen an apple tree arguing with itself to grow apples. But the reason that, that religion is so weighty and the reason that religion is absolutely no fun and it steals the joy is you have a pressure to produce fruit apart from Jesus. If you just focus on Jesus, it will result in the fruit. Hence John chapter 15. But when we are caught up in rules, our joy is taken away. And if you have no joy in your Christianity, there's two things to look at. Are you trapped in a sin? Or are you trapped in religion? And, and here's the thing that I found most since moving to Texas. Most of the time, it's they're trapped in religion. And it's no fun. There is no joy. There is no fulfillment being trapped in religion. So we grow out of this stuff, but we grow into freedom. Because here's what those men could not do and would not do for that woman, religion can never save you. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't fast enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't anything on your own. And if you try to do it by way of religion, you will be highly disappointed. But some of you are struggling that I didn't talk about Jesus' words, go and sin no more. That's because you're religious. What, is a, what does religion say to, a, to a, a, girl, a young lady or a not-so-young lady that gets pregnant? 
Religion doesn't save you. Religion doesn't take the guilt and the shame away. It only puts more on there. But what Jesus does is take away the guilt and the shame because it's only Jesus that can say you're no longer condemned. Now, here's the reality. If a woman is seven months pregnant and she comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you, does the baby disappear? No, because there are always consequences to sin. Again, it's the woman that gets the bad rap in these things, right? It's one thing for a girl to sleep around, but that's what guys do. And so if we're not careful, we'll put this place in religion and there's no, not, not allowing this to go free, to actually go and not have shame. I've heard some of your stories. You've gone through stuff. And the hardest thing for you to do was come to church. You knew that when you came to church, people were going to judge you. Oh God, let that not be us. May we grow out of that kind of condemnation. May we grow out of that kind of thinking. May we grow out of that kind of religion so that we might truly walk in liberty. That we might truly be free. And so when we, we begin to grow out of this and, and we ourselves begin to walk. I, I told someone this here this last week that I met with. I said, when you, when you learn to grow out of religion, you're going to be the best kind of evangelist there is because you're going to be authentically happy and joyful about your life with Jesus. You're not going to look at people going, oh, no, Jesus, you're going to hell. Yeah, you're going to hell too. Yeah, I saw who you voted for. You're going to hell. I can't imagine how, how a person can vote like that and never get into heaven. Oh, wait, we wouldn't say something like that. But I want you to understand this is where we live. Do you know that Texas, as I said earlier, is filled with people who are trapped in religion? Of the 50 states, Texas, by the Pew Institute, is ranked 11th as the most religious state in the country. And that's, they, they say 64% of the people who live in Texas would count themselves as religious. We have plenty of work to do. So let's talk about the go here. Let's finish this up. Because let me tell you something. You meet the trapped every day. Some of you are thinking, well, I just, I only know a few who are, who are the, the adulterous. You know a whole lot more who are the scribes and the Pharisees. You do. And you can minister to them because Jesus did, and he showed us how to do it. So here's, here's again, get the scene. Because everything about posture with Jesus. So Jesus, he, he, he has this, they come and they start accusing. He starts writing in the sand. We don't know what he's writing or the dirt. We don't know what he's writing. All right? And then all of a sudden, he stands up and he looks at the religious. This is not a posture of love. This is a posture of war. And what you find in Scripture the people Jesus warred with was not the Roman government, was the religious. But how he did it is critical. He just, he looks at them and he says, he is without sin, cast the first stone. And he sits down. And then it says that when all of them had left, 
stands up again. And now he looks at the woman caught in adultery. This, I guarantee you, is a look of love and compassion and care and tenderness. Any person that's trapped in their sin, they need the love. They need the tenderness. They need the compassion. But here's, I think, the the bigger thing. In all the people around, Jesus stands to one people, set of people, so they would get out of there. But then he stands to another one. I want you to get this. Jesus stood with her and he honored her. He could have said all of that standing, sitting down. He could have said, where are you condemned? Where are the people condemned you? Go and sin no more. As if he was just casting her off. But for him, he had to stand. Because in, before him was a soul that he dies, knows he's going to die for. And the preciousness and the value of that person is far outweighed than the sin that got him trapped. He wasn't moved by the sin, but he was moved by the person. And if you're moved by sin and not moved by service by a person, oh God, forgive us. God, help us. But when we start being moved by people and not sin, I guarantee you it's going to be the first thing for us igniting change. But then he speaks, and he speaks two different ways. He, he asks questions in both. But when he speaks to the religious, at some point you've got to stand up to him. And at some, sometimes you just got to stand up and say, boy, I sure hope you can keep up all the Ten Commandments. And go on to something else. In my arena, in my circle of influence, in my job of pastoring, I run into a whole lot more people that need to be stood up to than, than you do. Most people are just trapped in that religion, and they want out. And so you don't have to stand up and stand against. Here's where you stand up. When you stand up and you look in the mirror, just say, Jesus, help me recognize any Pharisee in me. And then when you're at work, or you are talking to your next-door neighbor, or you're out walking your dog and you know the neighbor's dog and not their neighbor's name, that's me. There may be religion that now you need to actually honor them. That you need to speak to them with a, a compassion and a care. Do you know, there are people that need to hear you say, Jesus does not hold that against you. Have you ever said that to somebody? People need to hear it. People at your work, people, people you know in your, in your life groups, people that you know in your neighborhoods, they need to hear when they are going, I just feel condemned, I have guilt, I could never, Jesus doesn't condemn you. Because when you do that, you're beginning to let them see what Jesus sees. A life 
without condemnation. And so, the last thing is you got to send them. So, as I said earlier, don't fight the religion. As I said, Jesus didn't stare them down. This is the, the, to me, just blows me away that Jesus doesn't even look at them. He lets them walk away at their own pace. But then he sends the trapped, that is trapped from sin, away without shame or guilt. He says, he says, go and sin no more. Because he understands that when she's leaving, she's not thinking about the time that she stole from her mother when she was six. She's thinking of one sin. She's thinking of one act. She's thinking of the decisions that got her to that place. And Jesus was pointing her, just like he does with you and I, to a better way of life. Well, there are times that we have no condemnations, and we have consequence. As you mature in the Lord, you have no condemnation and no consequence because he has taken that desire, that sinful desire, that thing that you keep getting caught up in, the thing that keeps trapping you, he takes that away. But it's always to a better life. So, last group of people. Ready for this? This is where we're going to close, right here, and we're going to pray. There was a whole other set of people. Who were they? They were the ones that were being taught. They were the people who were witnessing all the activity just as you witnessed it here today. You're here just like them because of Jesus. Now you can go this week and you can begin to see the trapped. And... By God's grace, in Jesus' name, you can set them free as you minister to them at the speed of life. And so, Jesus, we say yes. We say yes. Lord, there is no lack of the religious around. No lack. Lord, I pray for countless stories this week of interactions of people who meet the religious and are trapped in a religion and find and discover the beauty and the, the incredible joy and liberty that comes with a, a life in you and a life there you are in us. Lord, may we help all of DFW in this regard this week as you help us ignite change at the speed of life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, let's stand together and sing one more song. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.